Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I am uh, Bruce Frugsma. I'm the middle school pastor here at Wiseata Free, and it is my pleasure uh, this morning to be able to stand here in front of you and talk about time, and to talk about having time in our life, and to talk about having space in our life, margin in our life. And I want to share a little bit about who I am and where I'm coming from so you understand why I'm so excited to speak about this. So I'm going to back up several years to when I was in college, uh, to when I met my wife here at Wiseata Free Church. Uh, We were both volunteering with Jill in the middle school ministry. That, For those that have been around a while, that gives you a time frame. For those that haven't been around a while, sorry, I'm not telling you any more than that. But I met my wife back then, and we volunteered together. And and shortly after I, I finished here and finished college, I took a job in Delano at the Free Church there. And uh, my wife and I got married shortly after that. And a few years later, I started looking around at my life and really felt like God was leading me to go back to school, to go to seminary and get my master's. And uh, decided about the same time that my family, you know, we had a cat. We thought a dog was too much work. So we decided maybe it's time to have a kid. Um, and, and we thought maybe we'd be ready for a kid. And... Uh, so we, we decided, you know, and in my head, you know, I, I'm a guy, I go, I can do it all. I can, I can work full time at the church, I can, I can uh, go to school full time, and I can have a family, and it'll be, it'll be perfect. And God, knowing me, knew that he had to get my attention in a very significant way, that I could not do it all. And so, nine months later, we welcomed Darren and Maria into our life. Um, <laughs> So, which are twins. Uh, so we, we, we welcomed them into our life, and, and God made it abundantly clear to me at that moment that I couldn't do seminary full-time, work full-time, and have twins. And so through, through a, a long process, God led me to, to leave the church I was at, to turn down other full-time positions, and seek a part-time position. And right as, a, as I was going through that process, a part-time position to be the middle school pastor at Wise Out of Free Church opened up. And uh, so I thought, this will be great. It will work with my schedule. And so I came to uh, Wise Out of Free Church and did three years of part-time middle school ministry here. And I did uh, full-time at school and a part-time stay-at-home dad and a part-time school bus driver. And in my spare time, I was a husband. And uh, I got a lot of comments in that time of my life where people would come up to me and go, how do you do it all? And the honest answer is you don't at least not to the best of your abilities all the time. And there were times where I turned in papers that were good enough at school, but not necessarily my best. Because the amount of time to get my best wasn't worth it. And there were times, if I'm honest, where other areas of my life weren't quite up to the best. And so, you know, you go through, through that time and that process, and here in January we welcomed our second set of twins into our life. And uh, so Kaya and Britta, January this year, and I... I finished up seminary and graduated in May. In June, I came on full-time here. And so when I talk to you about time in your life and margin, that's where I'm coming from. But I also want to be very clear that I'm not standing up here claiming to know how to do it. Um, But rather, I'm standing up here saying, I still have a lot to learn on this. But God has made it abundantly clear to me in the last three years that this is very important. You know, to to turn down full-time positions and step out of a full-time position to value family time. Um, took a lot of humility at times. And there were, there were some times in my life where people came up to me and when I explained I was working part-time, they kind of looked at me like, oh, couldn't hack it. 
you know, so there's there's a little bit of it, it was it was it was a trial at times and it was a struggle. And uh, anyway, so that that's where I'm coming from. And that's where I'm so passionate about this idea of margin and this idea that we need margin in our life. We need buffer space. We need to get to the point where we don't book our lives to the minute, where our lives aren't so full that we don't have opportunities to take advantage of opportunities. Those things that pop up unexpectedly. And like, we, like she talked about in the video, this idea that if we book our lives so full, we miss the moments that we really need to be there for. And so that's where, where, where we're at this morning, where I'm at, and that's where I want to I share. And I'm going to start um, in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up. If you don't have one, there should be some in the uh, seat back in front of you. But open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. I'm going to jump around a little bit, so bear with me. Um, I'm cheating. I have it all on my iPad, so I'm going to be a little quicker. But I'll try and give you guys time to turn pages. Mark 6, um, 30 through 34 is where we're going to start. And I want to start there because I think we get a unique glimpse into the, into the chaos of Jesus' life. His ministry is at its peak of popularity. Things are bustling. And we see him placing margin in his ministry and in his life. So Mark 6, chapter 30, or Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 34. And I want to read that to you now. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And I'm going to stop there. Because I'm going to give you a little bit more background before we keep going. Here's what's going on in the background. Jesus' ministry, like I said, is at its peak of popularity. He just sent the disciples out on their first missions trip, is really what it is, where he sent them out in groups to minister and experience ministry on their own. He's beginning to prepare them for ministry. He also just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. So in Jesus' life, there's these conflicting experiences. His disciples are just coming back from this missions experience. His, his cousin was just beheaded. And now we'll keep reading. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And here we see Jesus, his life is in chaos. I mean, like the verse says, people are coming and going so much that they don't even have time to eat. Does anybody feel like that describes your house? People are coming and going in and out so much that you don't, and that's what's going on. And he, he turns to his disciples and he's, you know, he's got this thing with his cousin in the background. He's got this exhaustion from, from the ministry being so popular that that chaos is happening. His, and his disciples just came back. He hasn't even had time to talk to him. He says, let's go. Let's get off by ourselves. He's, he's trying to put a buffer space in. Let's go and get some rest. And they get in the boat and they, they take off and people see them and recognize them and run around the shore to the other side and meet them there. And Jesus gets out and he sees here an opportunity. Now, I don't know about you, but me, if that was my life, I would have gotten out of the boat and been, all right, let's get back in the boat and find an island. You know, let's go find someplace where they can't follow us. Let's, let's get out of here. But that's not what he does. And so we're going to keep reading. When Jesus landed, verse 34, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And here we see Jesus at a spot where he has an opportunity. And in that opportunity, we get the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, imagine what would have been different in this gospel story if Jesus would have said, I'm too busy and walked away. And not only does he have the feeding of the 5,000 where he shows his providence, where he takes care of people, but he also has this opportunity where he teaches his disciples that he will care for them. Twelve basketfuls are left over, twelve disciples. And he's able to show them that he will care for them and take care of them. But then what's most significant is, is the very last part. He still takes time to get away by himself and pray. And a lot of times, we're, we're pretty good at jumping on an opportune moment, and, and, and sometimes we'll reschedule what we missed, especially if it's a meeting or an appointment. But we're not so good at rescheduling rest. Where we have this, this buffer time in our life, and an opportune moment comes up, and so we take it, and we move right on with our life. And we totally skip over that thing we miss, whether it's family time or quiet time with the Lord, or just time to rest where we don't reschedule that. And we see here that Jesus goes, no, this margin, this rest, this time away is so important. I'm going to reschedule it. I'm going to get it in there. You know, it might be shorter. He might have planned a longer time to do that, but he still took that time. And I want to be careful here because I think there's a tendency as Christians where we try and put things in order. You know, church things or God things are at the top, and then it's, Ranked, you know, and somehow this is less important than this. And, and, and there's a tendency to think that, that work is lower than family, is lower than church. And we, we, we rank them, and then, we, you know, and then all that does is breed guilt. Where we start to feel guilty for the things we've done. And I want to be careful because that's not what I, I see in the gospel or in the Bible, and that's not what I'm trying to share this morning. But rather, that all of those things, work, family, and rest, are, are good and created by God and holy and therefore, things that can be worshipful for us. When we're working, we can be worshiping. When we're with our family, we can be worshiping. When we're resting, we can be worshiping. And all of that revolves around this idea of margins. So that's kind of what I want to share and why I want to share it. So let's, let's jump in. And we're going to start by talking about work. And I'm, I'm choosing to start with work because that's where God starts. If you open your Bible, the first thing we see God doing in Genesis 1 is creating, which is a form of work. And we're going to start there, too, because we get a glimpse here. Genesis 3, I had an Old Testament professor in seminary who, uh, you know, he required us to read entire books of the Bible in one sitting. And whenever we would whine and complain, he'd tell us how he would prefer to break up the Bible. He'd prefer to break it up. Genesis 1 and 2 is one book. 
how things were supposed to be. And Genesis 3 is how things got screwed up. And Genesis 4 through the end of Revelation would be one book on how God is fixing it. And he said, so just think, I could be assigning you all of that. (laughs) Go ahead. But there's some significance to that breakup. Genesis 3 is how things got screwed up. And, and, and Genesis 4 on is God fixing it. So when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we see how God intended things to be. At least a little glimpse. And so what's significant is God starts with work and then God calls man to work. When things were good, he calls him to work. You know, I remember as a little kid thinking, man, I can't wait till, till Jesus comes back or I get to heaven because I won't have to clean my room or I won't have to do work anymore. And... You know, maybe, but, but work was still something that's created by God and it's called good. Okay, and so we see this, and, and now we're going to spend some time in Genesis 2. So this is again your warning to, to flip up to Genesis 2. And we're going to see how God, what God does with work. And then we're going to talk about how we can build margin into that. And so we're going to start in Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 15 through 20. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so we see here that God not only calls him to work, hey, work in the garden, take care of it. But he, he, he has him put things in order and organizing and he's looking at the animals and he's naming them and he's, he's looking at them to see if they'd be a desirable helper. And we know how that plays out, that he doesn't find a suitable helper. But there's an idea here of him organizing and putting in order. And here we are before sin and there's work and there's order and there's effort being expended. And he is to care for all of creation, not just the plants, but the animals and the earth. And, and, and that's the command by God. And so we see here in Genesis 2 that work is good and work is sacred. It's holy. It's worshipful. It's part of living out our faith is work. And so then we, 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 we get to this question of, well, why is it so hard for us now to work in a way that's worshipful? And, and that's all because of sin. And now all of a sudden our occupation at times becomes a preoccupation. And, and our work becomes our focus. And our work, instead of focusing on God and what he's doing, we're focused on what our business or our company is doing. And so we have to understand that that things have changed now. I mean, we see this blending in Genesis of work and family and spirituality that happened naturally. And it doesn't now. And so now it takes effort for us to do that. You know, back when I first got married, it was pretty easy for me to go on youth retreats, mostly because I scheduled them. So I found weekends that worked for my wife and I. And when we didn't have kids and she was a youth volunteer, she came with us. So it was pretty easy to say, hey, we're going on a youth retreat, and, and she'd come with us, and we'd, we'd do the youth retreat and come home. And since we both had fluid schedules, we could generally find another couple days throughout the week where we'd both be home. And so youth retreats were just easy. And then we had kids, and all of a sudden... 
taking off for a weekend or a week becomes a little bit more of a struggle because now she's not coming with me and the kids are not coming with me. And, and in fact, I'm leaving and going off on a youth retreat and she's staying home with two or four kids. And, and all of a sudden you start going. And it also led me to a moment where I realized I go off on a youth retreat and get more sleep than I do at home, which, which was an interesting experience for me. But, but you know, it, it, and so one of the things my wife will say to me before a youth retreat, most youth retreats anyway, is she'll turn to me and say, make this worth it. Make this time away worth it. If you're going to go away for a weekend and spend time with some students, make it worth it. Now, I can't force quality conversations. I can't force students to encounter God, but I can be fully present when I'm there and therefore be available if an opportune moment arises. And all of a sudden, that time away from family is valuable for my work. And that's really what it, what it comes down to is, as we work, are we working as people with integrity? Are we fully engaged when we're there? Kevin Campbell spoke a few weeks ago from Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, work at it with all your might. Are we doing that? Are we fully engaged when at work? Because when we're at work, are we honoring that time that we're not at home? Or are we honoring that time we're not with our family? Because that's one way that we can take that time away, whatever our job is. I mean, whether it's, it's in a bank or like for me on a school bus or at church or, or for some company or, or whatever it is. Are we making it worth it? Are we fully engaged when we're there so that enables us better to step away when we're away? Because I've noticed that, I don't know about you, but for me, some of the times when I'm working at home, it's because I didn't really get as much done as I should have at work. And sometimes that's my fault. And by fully engaging and, and being people of integrity and, and, and working when we're working, we're able to worship God by honoring that time, that time away from our family. I read a book, and this book is part of what inspired me to go part-time when I went to seminary. And it's part of what has inspired me this morning to share these thoughts with you. And the book is by Andy Stanley, and it's called Choosing to Cheat. And the real reason I started reading it is because it's really small. And it's real easy to read through in a sitting. And, and it's called Choosing to Cheat, What Happens When Work and Home Collide. I think that's what it's called. When family and work collide. Who wins when family and work collide? Choosing to cheat. And he talks about how there are going to be times where, where you know, we never have a moment where our boss comes up to us and says, I really wish you were here a lot less. You know, I really like you, but I wish you were here less. And we never or rarely have moments when our spouse comes up to us and says, I really wish you were here less. And, you know, everybody wants more of our time. And so what happens is we get these times where we have to choose to cheat or neglect or pull away from one because of the other. And so he's all about engaging this. But he has this great quote that I want to share with you. And it's this. We ask God to fill a gap at home that only we can fill while we scurry off to do a job that a thousand other people could do. Let me read that one more time. We ask God to fill a gap at home that only we can fill while we scurry off to do a job that a thousand other people could do. And he goes on and expands on that and says, in fact, if we're really honest with ourselves, most of the time a thousand other people could do it just as well as us or even better. And I take this quote not as a criticism of going off to work, but rather for me it's a challenge. Am I fully engaged? 
when I'm there? Am I making that time away worth it? Because I'm leaving something that only I can do, a husband. I can only be the husband to my wife. I can only be the father to my children. No one else can do those jobs. And we all have things in our life that only we can do. And I'm leaving those being a a good friend to somebody. To do a job that a thousand other people could do. So am I making that time worth it? Am I making it worth it? As we move on in the Genesis story, we see, like I said, it's all intertwined. So moving on is kind of a fluid term here. But we see relationships as well. Where God is engaging in relationship. And in fact, Genesis starts off when he creates man in Genesis 1. He says, let us create man in our image. There's a unity to the Trinity and a relationship inherent in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That when he creates man in his image, part of that image is this idea that we belong in relationships. It's not good for man to be alone, we see in Genesis 2. Okay? It's not good. And no suitable helper is found in the animal kingdom. You know, they're looking, he, looking for somebody, and, and it's not the same. Relationship is needed for mankind. And so we read this um, in Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And we get this idea in this Genesis narrative that that relationships are important. And, and relationships with other human beings are important. You know, an animal is not the same. He can't have the same closeness of relationship. Because an animal is not bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. That's more than just a bad love poem. There's, a, there's symbolism there that it's not the same. And, and, and he looks at, at, at woman and he finds in her what he needs, and that is relationship. But what's, what's fascinating to me in, in looking into this and getting ready for this message is verse 24. Because it, it, it shows in there that even, and remember, we're before sin, we're before the fall, and we see that relationships even then took effort. I mean, it's easy for us to fall into the trap that relationships should be easy. You know, I spent, I tried to take my kid out and have a fun time, and it was just work. Or I took my spouse, and we were going to go on this nice, pleasant walk, and we fought the whole time. What a waste. Because we think relationships should be easy. And the reality is they took effort even before sin entered the world. Look at, the, look at verse 24. It says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Or in other translation, clings to his wife. Or as I prefer the ESV, English Standard Version, which says, holds fast to his wife. There's effort involved there. I don't know about you, but have you ever had to cling to something or hold fast to something? I mean, I see cling to and I think of cliffhanger. If you fall off a cliff and you're clinging to the rock, you're expending a tremendous amount of effort. Clinging to doesn't just happen. Holding fast doesn't just happen. And we're supposed to do this to more relationships than just our spouse. 
You know, when you look at the Bible, we see this idea that relationships is really a central focus of God. You have the Ten Commandments where the first four are all about our relationship with God and the last six are about our relationship with other people. You have the great commandment which says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, this sums up the law and the prophets. That sums up the gospel. Love God, love people. And it takes effort and it took effort before sin entered the world. You know, relationships don't just happen. Relationships are different. And then we see also at the end of it, and they become one flesh, which implies a process. You don't just get married and, I mean, anybody who's gotten married knows, you don't just get married and everything is great. (laughs) Far from it. It's when you first move in, you know, you're married and you move in together that you suddenly realize who you've married. And all of their wonderful flaws. It takes effort and it's a process. It doesn't happen instantly. And so relationships take effort. And so how does this apply to margin? Well, we can't program relationships. We can't force relationships to happen. We can't whittle out a window and expect that everything will happen in that time frame. And as a guy, we tend, uh, for me, as a guy, I tend to take relationships sometimes and I can view them very much like I do a job. Well, if it takes work, I'll just apply my work logic to it and I'll grind it out. And for some of you, you're sitting here and, and that's what 4th of July weekend has been. Is it's been this, this family time that you're going, all right, I have this window of opportunity. I've been really busy at work. I've been really busy with everything else. So I have this window of opportunity that's going to be family time and it's going to be fun. And we try and force it. We're going to do this, this, and this, and this. And it's going to be fun and you're going to like it. And people push back and people don't want to do it and you get frustrated because it didn't work out like you planned. And it was just a waste. And the reality is, it's not a waste. If you're fully present when you're there, it's not wasted time. If you sit in a boat with somebody and never talk to them, that's not wasted time. If you're fully present. If you go on a walk with your spouse and you fight, that's not wasted time. If you're fully present. Because it's about being there. And not about programming fun. Or programming quality. Because we can't. It's not programmable. So I have three daughters. I have one son. And uh, so I've been reading this book by Meg Meeker, who's a doctor. And it's called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. Because if I have daughters, I need to gear up for this. And so I'm reading this book at, at my wife's request. And which it's a great book. And there's a great quote in there that I, that I want to share. I'm on the wrong page. Here it is. Relationships are different. We cannot force results. Especially when we know we've been overdoing at work and sacrificing our family, we try to make up for it with intense bouts of family time. Margin, time to spare, allows us to not only engage in meaningful moments of opportunity, but to feel less pressure to produce results in our relationships when we do schedule time with our spouse, kids, parents, or other meaningful relationships. In other words, if we're fully present when we have the opportunity, even if it isn't scheduled family time, then we don't feel that pressure to force it. If we're able to be fully present in the little moments, bedtime, snack time, whatever, those little moments, if we're able to be fully present there, then when we do have scheduled family time, we're not relying on that exclusively to carry our relationships. 
And suddenly when we feel less pressure to produce results in those moments, then if nothing happens by our standards, we aren't disappointed. We aren't frustrated. If you schedule this Twins game because you're going to, you know, I'm going to bond at this Twins game and it rains out, you're not frustrated. You instead see it as an opportunity still to spend time in relationship, even if it isn't what you had planned, because suddenly what you had planned isn't the focus. And it starts with building margin into our lives where we can engage in those moments of opportunity and we don't rely on the scheduled ones exclusively. So then we talk about work and building margin there. We talk about relationships and how important margin is there. And then we talk about what it really is all about, which is the importance of rest. And we see that too in the Genesis narrative. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And I love how that's phrased, all the work of creating he had done, as if God was somehow tired. You know, after six days of creating everything, you know, he go, oh man, I really needed it. But in reality, he wasn't exhausted. He wasn't tired. He's doing it for our benefit because we tend to have the same perspective that we can do everything and we don't need to rest. Or maybe it's just me. But, you know, I, I, can, I can do it all and I don't need to take a time out and, and I can... And God's saying, look, I rested. If you don't think you need rest, then you must think you're, you know, as good as me or better. Because rest is vital. And it's a commandment. And it's something we're called to do. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Because honoring the Sabbath is about acknowledging that God can do more through me in six days than I can do in seven days on my own. If I'm really applying myself at work and working with integrity, if I'm really applying myself to relationships and and being present in those moments for six days, then on that seventh day I can rest and my family can rest because God will do more through me in those six days than if I try and do it all on my own. And you know what? Science has backed that up. Studies have shown that people who try and work straight through and don't rest are less productive and get less done. Rest is important. This past year at Wyzetta High School was a hard year. Um, Two students at Wyzetta High School this past school year committed suicide, one of whom was David, who came to our youth group. And I'm not going to stand up here and, and try and tell you why that happened, because suicide is a very open wound in a lot of people's lives. And it's also a very personal thing, that there's a lot of personal factors that play into it and and we can't always control all of them so hear me very clearly when I say I'm not doing that or trying to tell you but what was interesting to me is in response to those the school brought in a uh, adolescent psychologist and she shared three things well she shared a lot more than three but she she highlighted three things, the top three things that we can control to help reduce anxiety and stress, especially in students' lives. You want to know what the top three were? Adequate sleep, eight to nine hours at night, specifically between the hours of 10 and 2 a.m. Eight to nine hours of sleep. Healthy diet. Unstructured downtime. Those were the top three. Adequate sleep, 
healthy diet, unstructured downtime. Two of the three revolved around rest. And so, and so as, I, as I look at my life, I go, where am I putting in time for me to rest? Where am I putting in time for me to have unstructured downtime? And as a parent, how am I ensuring that my kids have the same thing? Because we see that rest is not just something that God commands. It's something that's absolutely necessary for our health and well-being. And we see it's something that's modeled repeatedly in the Bible. Not only is it a Ten Commandment, but we see Jesus in Luke Luke 22:39. It says that uh, it was his custom to go away by himself and pray. So that, that glimpse of Jesus taking time on the mountainside to pray after feeding the 5,000 wasn't a one-time occurrence. People recognized that that was his custom. And we see this, and here's a passage I'm going to read again. Mark 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, what had happened is, is the, the, the Israelites had gone into exile many years before because of their failure to obey God's law. Okay? And so what happens is they came back from exile and they said, okay, we are not going to make that same mistake again. And so they added to their laws. And, and in other words, what they said is, if this is the cliff edge where we go into exile, we're going to stay back here. We're going to put stuff as a buffer space between us and exile so that we don't make the same mistakes again. And so they looked at the idea of Sabbath and they said, we, shouldn't, we should honor the Sabbath and not do work on it, so let's define work. Well, picking grain, a field of grain, harvesting wheat is work, so let's not pick grain on the Sabbath. Well, the point is not to not pick grain with your fingers because you're munching on it as a snack, but not to harvest a field. But because their laws, they had ceased to see it in that way and instead saw it as an absolute. And, the Bible, and Jesus condemns the Pharisees for putting these burdens on the people and not lifting a finger to help them with them. And so that's what's going on in the background, why the Pharisees turn and say, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what he's getting at is the Sabbath isn't about, it isn't this idea of I, I need to do this because God tells us we have to do it, but God knows we need it. And so God has given it to us because we need it. And so we need to honor God and worship God by building that margin into our life to be able to rest. And rest here is different than sleep. Sometimes rest is sleep. We need sleep. But sometimes rest is disengaging and pulling back and saying, I can't go, 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 go. Because if you push it too far, your body will tell you you need to rest. And I did that in high school. I pushed my body to the point where I physically collapsed. I went to an all-night youth lock-in after school, went to school all day, went to this all-night youth lock-in, stayed up all night, you know, doing lock-in stuff. And I get home the next morning, and, I, and I'm, oh, good, I'm going to get to go to sleep. And, and I sleep for a few hours, but then I had to get up because we had to go buy something at a store or whatever and get ready because that night I was going to babysit. And I was going to babysit, and I stayed up babysitting this, this was Saturday night, to, into Sunday morning, like 1 a.m. I finally got done babysitting and went home, and we were up at 6 to go to church. And we're standing in church, and the worship song is playing, and 
I'm standing up singing worship one second and on my back in the pew the next. Your body will tell you, you've been going too hard. And it's not fun to get to that point. And by the way, I got home and didn't want to take a nap. You know, because, well, but I'm good. I got a nap at church. I fell over. (laughs) You can push it too far. We need rest. And sometimes rest is sleep. And that's what I needed. But sometimes, for some of us, we're on the verge of collapse emotionally or spiritually or physically. And what we need is not more sleep, but time away from chaos. Because people are coming and going so much that we don't have time to eat. And we need that downtime. So I want to give you here this morning five things. Because, because the, the, the real trick is to put that margin in. Because margin is a decision. It doesn't happen. If we don't do things intentionally to put space in our lives to rest, it will not happen. So I want to give you five things quick that, that will help you decide to put margin in your life. Um, and here they are, in no particular order. Number one, decide to rush less. If you're driving down the highway and the speed limit's 55 miles an hour, set the cruise at 54 instead of 64. Your anxiety level will go down immensely because every cop that passes will not be hunting you. Decide to rush less. As one of the books I read suggested, get in the longest line at the grocery store and let somebody go in front of you. Instead of looking at the person who got in line in a different line, and deciding if they get there first, you lose. (laughs) Make a conscious choice to decide to rush less, number one. Number two, schedule in family time. Put it on your calendar. Call it an appointment if you have to. I talked with Kevin Meyer when I was getting ready for this, and he shared this with me and gave me permission to share it with you, that, that there have been times in his life where he has to call family time appointments so that it doesn't get hijacked. Because if somebody comes up to you and says, man, I, re- I really need to talk, and you say, hey, I, I can't, I'm going home to-, to play games with my family, they feel shorted. But if you tell them, hey, I have an appointment then already, can I reschedule with another time? They'll listen. So if you ha- do what it takes to get that family time on your schedule. Schedule it in. Number three is this. Take a nap. Not during church. But take a nap. There are times where I need to take a nap. I hate naps. They're not productive. It's okay for dad to be put in a timeout. There are times where I need a nap. Take a nap. Number four, expect the unexpected. We all know those moments in life where the unexpected pops up. We know those tasks that we constantly, or those times when we constantly get interrupted. And so if you're heading into a moment where you know people are going to interrupt you, and it's going to take you two hours to get a task done, schedule it for two and a half. That way, when somebody comes in and interrupts you, you have margin to be able to engage in that relationship and not feel cheated. And then if you get done with it ahead of time, guess what? Bonus time. But so often what happens is we go, this should take me two hours, and we get interrupted a couple of times, and we just get frustrated. And we don't engage with the people who interrupted us because they interrupted us and stole my time. And then we end up rushing the job anyway. So expect the unexpected. And the last one is this. Learn to say no. Even to good things. Because sometimes good things that we say yes to take us away from great things we need to do. Learn to say no because there are a lot of good things out there. In fact, if you have time to do 10 things and 100 people come up to you with good things, you can only do 10 of them. So you're going to say no 90 times. So learning to say no isn't just 
good, it's necessary. Learn to say no. See, the thing is, if we build this margin into our life, if we give ourselves space, we can honor God more fully in what we do. And we can engage in those opportune moments so that God fully has us serving him. Thank you.